Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. Today we're in our third Sunday of Advent. I've never done a series on Advent and followed tradition. As I've said, those four traditional values or, if you will, virtues of faith that are uh, hope, peace, joy, and love, we're giving ourselves to examination of those. Now the problem with it is that we can't cover any of those in a single stop. And, and it, this seems to be escalating for me as I move through the series. I wrestled with it last week. I did so good at just pushing away the extraneous things I wanted to talk about and stay right zoomed in on that. This week will not happen that way. Just will not happen. I was in tears as this morning reflecting, worshiping with you, praying for people already who are sitting here this morning who so desperately need joy. And the good news is right here, right here in this building, in this service, before you leave, your joy can be reclaimed. You say, dude, you have a simplistic view of the complexities of life. You don't know my circumstances. Or you don't know my situations. No, but I want to declare this to you with great force. If you are a child of God, Joy is never beyond your reach. I'm going to show you that from Scripture. I don't live simplistically. I don't think simplistically. I understand and I pursue understanding complexities of life. I try to never say to a person in pain, you know, I really understand because I'm not sure that I do. I will say, I want to walk there with you. I want to do anything I can to encourage you. But as a counselor, I've learned not to say that. So please, if you're the one, the two, or the three that just heard me say those words, which were, if you're a child of God, joy is never beyond your reach. Your response may be, dude, you're one of those whacked out Bible beaters that really doesn't have clue about what real life is. Can I assure you? I do. I do. And I want to tell you it's here today. My favorite story I've told probably more times than any single story because I use it in a myriad of places for <clears throat> application. It's just my favorite little story. I think I read somewhere in sermon illustration, illustration book probably 40 years ago. I know when we were on that little island, I told this story. I just, it just jumps out at me. So I've told this, and if you've been here any time, you've heard it, but here it goes because it's Christmas and because it really works for this morning. There's a story of parents that had two children. They were about 18 months apart. <clears throat> um, the uh, older of the two was inadvertently and, 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 uh, and overwhelmingly pessimistic about life, just seemed to be that way and they couldn't break it. And the younger of the two was always optimistic, just, you know, this expected, just optimism abounding. They, two children could not be any more in contrast. So the parents thought on Christmas morning they would use that as an opportunity maybe to balance the two, to boister the one, and to adjust the other one more towards a center spot of reality. So they did this, this terrible experiment, and they bought the, the, um, the older child uh, all of these gifts, just incredibly, really extreme and exorbitant gifts, and, and so the, the um, uh, and they only bought, only got one box for the optimistic child to open. And so the older child, the optimistic child, didn't open his. He was busy celebrating with the older one when he would open his stuff, and he was just so thrilled for all the stuff he was getting. But the older one would say, oh, it'll probably break. It won't last a week. No. Oh, it's made of plastic, you know. Oh, well. I mean, just, and the parents were astounded. Now, they had one gift for the younger child, and, and he finally went to open his, and they put of all things in there, horse manure. What a terrible thing. And they put horse manure, one present he had. 
So the optimistic child, he opens the, the present, tears away the bow, peels the wrappings, and, and it's a large block, box with a lot of horse poop in it. And so he opens the top, and it's horse poop, and the smell of horse poop comes out, hits him in the face, and he jumps up. He had been kneeling by the Christmas tree. He jumps up, down, saying, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. His, the parents are now firmly and forever baffled at the pessimism of the one child who just received this abundance of gifts and this still unbounding optimism of the one they were concerned that the younger one had more brain damage than the older one. What is wrong with this child? And so they had to inquire. I said, son, honey, can, why, 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 are, why are you jumping up and down? And he says, because I know if there's horse poop this close, there has to be a pony around here somewhere, okay? That is my very favorite story to tell because I, I just tell it in leadership meetings. I tell it everywhere because of, of the disposition. Joy, joy. You've heard said, and, and again, another reason I didn't want to do this series is because you tend to fall into plat, platitudinal response. I mean, after all, you're talking about hope, peace, love, uh, joy, and love. You know, and those are just thrown out there everywhere. And meaningless, uh, sort of innocuous statements about hope and peace and joy and love. You know, it's never really measurable, never really quantifiable, and it's sort of foo-foo stuff. But I wanted something that we could really sink our teeth into. And boy, has joy done that this week for me. Maybe not for you, so I'll preach to myself like I did last week, and maybe you can benefit from that. But if you were to go out on the street and ask what Christians are like, do you think you would hear the word joy or joyful? And the answer to that is no. You would often hear somber, religious, um, uh, serious, things like that. But typically, joyful isn't one of those first words. I mean, you may get to it, after you're 15 or 20 deep into it, and somebody has, but typically <clears throat> not seen as joyful, and yet the word of God in John 15, 16, um, two, the two chapters, it is clearly to be a hallmark. Let me run those scriptures by you real quickly, all right? Now, I've got to move quickly. I'm headed somewhere with this, and what I hope to do today was a shotgun blast. So no matter where you may find on the fall on the joy continuum, something's gonna hit you somewhere. I'm, pray, I'm, I'm praying that, okay? Um, I, I liked, uh, I was listening to a, a soundbite from a, uh, a 92-year-old theologian. He's very popular with, within certain circles of theology, Jürgen Moltmann. Uh, he's German. And he, he wrote the book, A Theology of Joy. And interestingly enough, his childhood, when he was 16 years old, he, he was pulled into service during World War II, still alive, uh, pulled into service during World War II in Hamburg. And um, his experience was uh, there was... Um, um, the the, the um, Allied um, uh, mission title to destroy Hamburg at the end of the war uh, was called Operation Gomorrah. He said, you know, like as in Sodom and Gomorrah, a place of just evil. And he says, that's what they called my city. And he says, of course, it was destroyed and I was taken captive and all of that. But in that, this man writes on a theology of hope and he makes this statement as I was listening to an interview when he was being asked about it about a decade ago. And he said this, he says, hope is an anticipation of joy the same way that anxiety is the anticipation of being terrorized or terror. Hope is an anticipation of joy the same way that anxiety is the anticipation of, insert whatever you want. He used the word terror, but you could use something negative or horrible, okay? And that, that is worth examining. That's worth going and looking at the word anxiety and anxious in Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, but I won't go there. 
okay? We've got to stay, I've got to stay on track to what joy is, is, is about here. In John 15, listen, I'm going to read John 15, chapter 9, and then John 16, because it's the same sort of little speech or discussion that Jesus was having with his disciples. Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now watch verse 11. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. We get a little snapshot. This would be a good sermon right here to talk about abiding in God because as we find ourselves abiding in him and the word of God, God says your joy will be made full. So there's a first question there. Do you abide in the word of God? Do you know God's opinion on the matters you're facing? Do you know God's opinion on the matters of your life? Do you know God's opinion on the very things that, that are coming in where there's a voice rising up that says you can't have any joy right now because of this, this, or this? I don't have time to hang there. That would be a good sermon, but that's not where we're going. Take that one home with you if you need it. John 16, just a few minutes later, he was speaking in the same gathering. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Now watch the flip on this. The world will rejoice, so you will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. He's talking about his death and resurrection. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain but because, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born uh, into the world. Verse 22, therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. There's another sermon. Right from the lips of Jesus. Turn to somebody and said, Jesus said, turn, come on, do this. If you don't turn and say it, then I'm going to preach that whole sermon. You're going to be here a very long time. So this is incentive. We're going to start over. Jesus said, tell them, no one can take your joy away from you. Now look back at them and say, thank you for telling me that. Okay, let's keep going. Here we go. <clears throat> I want to point out that joy, listen to me, joy will always be in contrast to something. Or more pointedly, as John Ortberg says, in spite of something. Joy just doesn't exist statically. Joy is always contrasted against something. Look it up in Scripture. It's a fascinating study. Uh, let's continue on this path. One more I had to include. Acts 13, verses 50 and 52. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city. This is, I'm plucking this midstream. And instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the first glances we get that the Holy Spirit is the bringer of joy. He is the Holy Spirit of joy. And the good news today is that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Dwells in you. All right, let's keep going. Everybody say out loud, joy is from the Holy Spirit. I've got to give you these scripture. I know it's a lot today, but you stay with me. Romans 14, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I love that. Romans 15, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what scripture is absent here today. It's the one you should preach at Christmas. It's where the angels appear, and it's not, I didn't include it on purpose, but we're at Christmas, and, and joy is one of those, and it comes from the passage where the angels burst in on the shepherds, and they're about to tell them of great joy and good news has come to you. But the first words they say is, fear not. See, here's the third sermon I want to preach. And I may actually, honestly, I, I may push aside what I had planned for the new year because this has so bitten me and how people need joy as they face the uncertainty of a new year is to do about a five or six week series in January on joy. But let me tell you, here would be one of, another sermon. Joy is fearless. Don't fear. Don't fear. I've come to bring you joy. Now the question is, why is joy fearless? Because it doesn't allow the circumstances that would inform my fear to be the final voice. It says, I'm going to depend on the Holy Spirit to give me a view to my future because, watch this, please listen closely. Now, this is a bit more theological, but there's this, this and I talk about it, about the already not yet. This isn't in my notes. Lord, help me not to chase this rabbit too far. But here's the deal. Timeline, Tom's timeline. I refer to it. Here's my past. Here's my present, and there's the future. As far out in the future as I can think and reference is when I'm in the presence of the Lord forever. Okay? Hebrews chapter 6 says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the age to come, the power of the age to come, who is living in the age to come, who gives us a taste of the age to come now. Why is that important? Because the Holy Spirit has the ultimate view, the ultimate beyond. See, for the believer at the core of our theology, our, our hope comes from resurrection, not just resurrection. We're going to hit this at Easter time like never before. I promised that last year and moved away, but we are going to. Not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said that's a first taste of things to come and a certainty about us, but there is a resurrection coming for me. That is why I read it every funeral from the book of Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, we grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest of the world because this is not the end for us. We have a hope and a joy. We will rise on the other side and we will spend eternity with our Father. Our hope is is not defined by life. It doesn't stop here. There's a promise ahead in the age to come of an ultimate resurrection. Why is that important? Because that same spirit, the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and will raise my mortal body at the end of the age to see my Lord and Savior with a brand new, made new body again and again. Why is that important? Because the Holy Spirit right now is in that age to come. The Holy Spirit right now is with Tom in a glorified body in the presence of the Lord. I'm not yet there yet, but I'm headed there. And it is that Holy Spirit that is there right now in the presence of the Lord with Tom in that ultimate realization of what God created to me to be. Listen, I love C.S. Lewis' statement. He said, what we will be is essentially right now living a life as a statue. And at salvation, we only begin to become animated. Right there is full animation. Full animation. Why is that important? And why is there then a hope in my heart of resurrection? Because that same spirit of the resurrection and the spirit of the age to come is the spirit that dwells in me now. And there is something beyond my mind, something beyond my circumstances that calls me to a preferred future and outcome that my mind can't wrap itself around, but that Holy Spirit beating in there says, I'm still out there. I'm still out there. And there's a final day and a final hope you can't even imagine 
imagine, and he's pounding away in my chest when everything around me says, you should not be filled with joy. Yeah, that's a good place right there to go ahead and thank God for that. Do it. Look at the person next to you and say, you need to listen. He's not preaching to me, but I'm sure he's talking to you. Tell him. Okay, I'm going to skip past Galatians. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a hallmark of believers. Stupid joy. Stupid joy. You shouldn't have joy. Because any day at any moment, you can give me a list of five things where you shouldn't have joy. Stupid joy. But joy overcomes. Let me just skip ahead here. I went and counted all the times that joy or joyful shows up in the Psalms because I don't have anything better to do. 58. Of the 58, 48 of them, we're told to sing or shout for joy and with joy. So then my next question was, okay, is it with joy as though I'm shouting after I get joy or for joy as if I'm unto it? And I had this little fun because in the original language, whether you're coming or going, the same word is used because if you're going somewhere, you're coming from somewhere. So you understand it only in context. And I sort of, I sort of morphed that in there. It says, wherever I'm, it doesn't make any difference whether I shout from it or to it, whether I'm coming from it or going to it. What's in between is I can sing or shout, and God says joy will be mine. So let me ask you this. Do you worship? There's sermon number four. Worshiping in the face of horrible realities. We studied just a few weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 5 the importance of gratitude. That's sermon number 5. How gratitude is attached to joy. How the grateful heart is grateful for not only the gift but the giver. But that grateful heart displaces that. Listen to me. We read the passage that talked about addiction and drunkenness and this and that and how poetically it's tied to uh, uh, contrasted against being thankful. Negativity is an addiction that destroys that word drunk, asotia, means it destroys. Negativity is an addiction. It sucks you in more and more. It's a fix you can't ever get enough of. It will inform you, define you, and all it does is destroy you from the inside out. It's infectious like a cancer. What can I possibly do against that? I can rise up, and I'm about to give you some words to say. I'm glad you asked, okay? Mm-mm-mm. Praying with joy. Paul said, I'm not going to read you all the verses, in Philippians chapter 1. He said, I thank God, I am going to read it to you. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation of the gospel from the first day of your faith until now. You say, well, yeah, big deal. No, the big deal is, you want to know where he wrote Philippians from? Jail. Jail. Joy in jail. What is wrong with him? He's in jail. Read all four chapters. He never says, and oh, by the way, with a violin playing in the background, life is so crappy and horrible. I'm here in jail. The food's bad. Matter of fact, did you know one of the reasons he thanked them for their offerings is because when you were put in jail, they didn't supply food in those days. Friends or family would have to bring it to you. Think about that. That's why he was thanking them for the offering, because he was able to get something to eat because of they were given. He never even mentions. The jail food's really horrible. The guards are jerks. I, what's wrong with him? I pray for you with joy in my every thought of you. This is the same guy that sung in his last jail with Silas about midnight. 
after they had been beaten and chained to the wall, he's singing. What is wrong with him? We would look at him today and say, dude, you need to get a life. You really don't understand the complexities of life and the depths of sorrow you should otherwise be experiencing. These are real people. Paul was a real person. Let's keep going. He gives it away. Let me see. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Well, see, he's not just writing that about them. Why does he know, listen to me, that he who began, Jesus Christ, in you, the hope of glory, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Why? Because he was convinced of that very thing for himself. Uh, Amanda, put, uh, put that up, please. We studied this last year when we were doing a Philippians series about God saying from the first day of your faith, listen, verse six here, from the first day of your faith, everybody read that out loud. From the first day of my faith until the last day of my life, God says, I got this. Listen to me. How can we have joy? Because God, he says, I'm confident of this very thing. You know, the next time he had mentioned confidence would be two chapters later in chapter three, where he says, my confidence has previously been based on my heritage. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised, educated. I mean, I, I'm one of those guys, but he says, you know what? I count all that confidence based upon a social uh, uh, and, and genetic upbringing or, or, or giving. He says, that's garbage. I throw that out. He said, I found a different joy, a joy that, that comes as a result of fellowshipping with the God who lived, died, and rose again. Oh, my goodness, what's wrong with this guy? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Okay, let me go on ahead. How do I get joy? I already mentioned the Psalms. I skipped ahead. I love this, Psalm chapter 5. I just picked one. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. That's the same word for joy. Let them sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. Uh, I love it. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as a shield. I love that. I love that. Let me exult in joy. Well, how do you get there? Now, here's where I want to end, 1 Peter chapter 1. And let me just interpret it along the way. This is, this is really where the whole sermon was headed. Okay, here we go. First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, because beyond your will, you have been scattered. It's not on the screen yet. You'd see that I'm adding words here. You've been scattered where you didn't want to go throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You who are the chosen... You've had to learn languages you didn't ever want to speak and culture that was entirely foreign to you. You're aliens in a land, but you're the chosen of God. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, there it is, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an, an inheritance which is um, imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, 
reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, here it comes, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here's the verse. Listen, listen. Read the Bible when you go home. It's worth it. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice. I like King James here, forgive me, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, how do you get to that? He gives us the reason that I'd never noted before. In verse three, he says, let me tell you something. I know what feeds and sources your joy. You reflect on the fact that you have been born again. Verse three. There's a sermon right there just to stop and reflect. If another good thing ever happened, never happened to you, you have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit empowered through the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead and who promises the fulfillment of that age to come that I was pointing to earlier. Number two in verse four, you have a promised inheritance. Number three, you're protected by the power of God. Protected where? Same place we talked about peace. Peace doesn't come from out there. It comes from within here. Joy will not come from out there. It'll go away. Happiness will, but that fades and is built on circumstances. Joy is not. Joy is sustained despite and in spite of and in contrast to our circumstances, which we see here. Then verse 6 says, for this reason, verse 8, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I want to ask you this question. How much is your joy worth? Well, what do you mean by that? What can buy it? What can buy it? You say nothing. It's all right. Turn a video recorder on for 24 hours. Take it everywhere you go, including when you drive in severe traffic. Take a video recorder with you everywhere you go, including when you go into one of our seasonally overcrowded restaurants and you get cold, serve, cold food or a, waiter, a server that doesn't come back for 12 to 15 minutes. See, Americans can lose their joy in a minute because we're the most entitled people on the planet. We think we deserve and everything is owed to us. What's your joy worth? You say, wait, 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 wait. He says, your joy has been provided not by silver or gold, but the immeasurable cost of our Savior on the cross. It has been purchased. I love that. Psalm 51 says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Sustain in me a willing spirit. The word joy is alternately referenced in the New Testament as deliverance. There's one word, I didn't include this verse, but I want you to hear Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen. He said, I'm convinced that the God who delivered me is delivering me and will yet deliver me. Listen to you. If you're sitting here today... <clears throat> You say, how do you get it back? True story. Sat and sang this to God and myself this morning.
When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, and He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord. Hey, Jody, where are you? I don't want all the musicians out yet. Just Jody. Get, get, get up here, boy. And get that guitar. How he picked me up and turned me around. How he placed my feet on solid ground. It makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I know you're worthy of all the glory, of all of the honor, and all of the praise. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.